Uh, if you haven't already, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we're going to pick up today in verse 16. If you've been with us, you know that we have been walking through Genesis uh, since the beginning of the year, and we'll be in it for some time as we have looked at the creation account and how God has created uh, things in order with structure and how at the pinnacle of that creation, uh, God created Adam and Eve in the garden and how He gave them uh, commands. Uh, he gave them command within the boundaries of Eden that they could eat from any of the trees, any of the trees, the fruit of any tree there in the garden. Uh, but He reserved, He held back the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know from our study that they disobeyed God, that Eve was deceived, that Adam rebelled, and they ate from the fruit of that tree. The fall took place, and then we saw consequence of the fall, the consequence of sin, and we've continued to see that consequence as we walk then from the garden. Uh, last week we began in chapter 4 looking at Cain and Abel and how Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. Cain's was not. Cain and jealousy killed his brother. And today we're going to pick up at verse 16 as we continue looking at Cain's story and looking at the consequences of sin. And I hope as we read this, I hope as we study this today that you will see uh, not only in our own lives the great consequence that sin has, uh, but that you would see the hope that we have in the gospel that we will see at the conclusion of chapter 4 as well. So let me read this to us this Lord's Day, beginning in verse 16, and then pray for our time in God's Word. This is what God says to us as He speaks through His Word. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. But when he, he went and built a city, and he called the name of that city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erid, and Erid fathered Mehuel, and Mehuel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubel. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zehel also bore Tubel Cain, who was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubel Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You would pray with me this Lord's Day. Sovereign God, we come to you in the name of Christ, our King, our Lord. In His name, Lord, we seek you for wisdom and understanding that we might understand these words that we've read, both in their context and their intent. Lord, that you would use them to do a work in our lives. We see the stories of two very different families here the family of Cain and that of Seth. Help us, Lord, to understand the difference. Help us, Lord, to have hope that comes through the gospel of Jesus. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, perhaps some of you are, are like me in that when you find yourself in an unfamiliar place, you rely on a map or on a GPS to find your way around. Uh, when my family first moved to Bloomfield, I found that a GPS was rather useless in Nelson County. Uh, but I did quickly find that it was helpful when I went up to Louisville. And even this last week, as I was in Louisville doing some hospital visits and going from one hospital to another hospital, I rely heavily sometimes on that to, to figure out where I'm going. Uh, something I find, though, is that when I'm using a GPS, if I, if I zoom in too much, if I am just looked on a very close picture, I kind of lose the context of where I'm at, and I can get easily confused and turned around. And so I, I have to both zoom in and see where I'm at, and then also kind of pull back to see kind of the general area that I'm in so I can better understand where I've been and where I'm going. I think this is important when driving a car. I think it's even more important when it comes to studying God's Word. We have to understand context. We have to understand where we are. We have to understand the the big picture as well as look in and look at the fine details. And that's what we've been attempting to do as we've been walking through Genesis. To both see the the big picture uh, of how creation and the fall uh, affect us today as well as to, to look at the stories that God is telling us. Not just stories about people like Cain and Abel, but the stories that then are about us. And so I hope that today as we continue to look at Cain and the, the sin of Cain, as well as how the sin affects his family, that we won't just better understand Cain and his sin, but that we'll better understand our sin. That as we look to the consequence of his sin and how it affects his family, that we will better understand how our sin affects us and affects others And that chiefly, as we get to the end of this chapter and we look at the birth of Seth, who God appoints in the place of Abel, that that we might see hope in that passage and how it connects to the gospel of Christ. But we'll begin by going back and looking at verse 16, the last verse in the passage we looked at last week. And as we look at this, I simply want to make the point that I put in your notes there that, that sin results in separation from God. Uh, Sin always results in separation from God. Here we see verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. This is not the first person to to pull away, to go away from God's presence. If you think back to the garden, you know in the garden God places Adam and Eve there, He puts them in the boundaries of the garden. But when they sin, the text tells us, they are removed from the garden. God takes them out of the garden. But we see separation in two ways. It's not just God removing them. We see them pulling back as well. Because remember what happens when Adam and Eve sin. They immediately try to hide from God. They immediately try to pull back from God. The very trees that God had given them, and the fruit of those trees for provision, they try to then seek shelter in to hide from God. They, they pull back from God's presence. They are convicted of their sin, I believe. And we see this in other places in Scripture. I've pointed already how we see this at Mount Sinai when Moses goes up the mountain, when he's coming back down, that the people say to Moses, Moses, you speak to us, but we don't want God to speak to us. Why? Because they fear if God speaks to them, they will die. And so the text tells us in Exodus that the people pull back from God. And we see this in our lives as well. We see that when we sin, we, we pull away from God and His Word and His people. But it is not just us who are pulling away. We see that we are separated because God separates us from Him as He removes Adam and Eve from the garden. As here Cain leaves His presence, how He removes Him from His presence, we see that sin 
separates. Sin makes a separation between God and us. Isaiah chapter 59, mentioned last week, I'll mention it again, verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that term, fall short, we tend to use it as a term that suggests that we almost made it. We, we were almost there. Our, our fingertips were there at the finish line, but we, we didn't quite get there. We, we fell short. Yet the Greek language here suggests something far different. That term, fall short, more accurately would mean we, we fail miserably. If there was a position that was whoever comes in after last, that's who we are. Our sin puts us in this situation. We fall short of God's glory. We are, we are separated from God. And so you'll hear people say from time to time, people who may not even be exposed to God's Word, they'll say things like, well, I just feel so distant from God. They'll talk as if somehow God has, has distanced Himself from them. They'll, they'll say, well, I just feel like God's moved away. Or I feel like God's not listening to me. I feel like God's not hearing me. And they present it as if they are stable and God is moving. And yet the Scripture says, no, it is God who is stable. It is we who are moving. It is Adam and Eve who are removed from the garden east of Eden. It is Cain then who travels further away in our sin. We are the ones who move farther and farther and farther away. This sin separates us from God. We see it here with Cain as he goes away from the presence of the Lord, verse 16, and he settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You'll remember that the consequence, the curse that was given to Cain was that he would be a fugitive and a wanderer. And yet here we see the wanderer doing what? Settling. Uh, Nod in the Hebrew actually means a city of wanderers. It's, he can't get away from this title. And yet he is trying to settle, which is not what God said. God said you will continue to wander. We see Cain continuing to rebel from the word of the Lord. Sin separates Cain from God. Sin separates us from God. But we are not content to merely be separated because our sin continues to do things in our lives. And that's the second point I've put in your notes. Not only does it separate us, sin results in rebellion against God. We are not content just being separated from God. We will continue to rebel against God, His Word, His created order, the things of God, and our sin and our depravity. We rebel against those things. And we see that as we walk through the family the lineage, the genealogy of Cain. It says in verse 17, Cain knew his wife. A question that comes up out of curiosity at times, even a question from skeptics to push against the biblical account is, well, well where did Cain get a wife from? you got Adam and Eve and they have these children, so that, what's that leave us? I think it's very obvious what it leaves us. It leaves us with Cain would have married then one of his sisters, but it's different than the context that we might think of it today uh, for example you need to realize that adam according to genesis 5 lived to be 930 years old and the biblical record especially the closer you get to genesis 3 in the fall you see very long lifespans that over time begin to shorten and shorten and shorten until they are what they are 
today. And in the course of 930 years, Adam and Eve would have had many, many children. In fact, the biblical record tells us that. It says in addition to Cain and Abel and Seth, they had other children. One commentator broke it down this way to say if during their lifetime, if Adam and Eve were to have children at a normal rate, if just half of those children grew up, and we would assume more than half grew up, but if just half of them grew up, and if just half of those got married, again, many more probably did, but if just half of them got married, and if just half of those that got married had children, again, many more probably would have, but if, but if we went with this theory of halves, then Adam would have lived to have seen more than one million of his own descendants. So there, there would have been many for Cain to then take a wife from, for others to take a wife from. Now again, we look at it in our modern context and we think, well, that would create all kinds of problems and genetic issues and, and all kinds of things would ensue. I've shared before about with uh, our youngest, with Caroline, we spent quite a bit of time at, at Vanderbilt just those first few weeks. And if you've ever been to a children's hospital with your child, you know they, they ask you question after question. They're trying to diagnose and figure things out. And I remember when Sandy and I were meeting with the, uh, the genetic team uh, they would look to me and they would say, Now, uh, Mr. Carwile, are, are you related to your wife? Yes, she's my wife. We are related. Of course, they were asking something very different than I was sarcastically replying to. They wanted to know previous to our vows were we related in some way. Why? Because that would produce issues. That does produce issues today. And yet, when we go all the way back, closer to the garden, we see this would not necessarily so much have been the case. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, a great Presbyterian minister, described it this way. If you were going to drink from the Hudson River, and if you've ever been near it, you would know you'd never want to, but let's say you were there in New York and you wanted to drink from the Hudson River. Well, would you drink from it there in New York City where it's full of pollution from all these cities, or would you go all the way up the Anirondacks and drink it from its source? As we go back to the biblical record, we, we see purity up the line here from the garden. Sin has tainted, but not nearly to the extent that we see it taint us today. And so I think, therefore, it is perfectly logical that yes, Cain did indeed marry another child of Adam and Eve. And with her, we see this line of sin continue. It says that they bore Enoch, they built a city. Again, Cain is settling where you're supposed to wander and then it goes down through the line of children that are born to Cain. And several generations later, we get to verse 18 and 19 and the verse of the birth of Lamech. And here's where you continue to see sin. Here's where you see the result of sin. How sin results in great rebellion against God. Because the text tells us that Lamech, verse 19, took two wives. Now, you go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and you see a very clear creation mandate. God creates Adam and He creates Eve and He creates marriage as one man and one woman and one flesh, a union here. Jesus refers back to this when He's confronted on the issue of divorce in the New Testament. He goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. He says, this is God's design. Do you, do you not read do you not remember god said god put this out one man one woman a one flesh union this is what god has put together and yet here we see lamech doing what he, he is rebelling against god's design he is rebelling against god's 
created order. You could say it this way. Lamech is choosing his desire over God's design. And we do the same. And that is why we excuse our sin by saying, well, well, why would I want this so much if God didn't want me to have it? Uh, It feels so right. It must be right. And yet we find in the biblical record, no, it is what God has said is right that is right. If we are to base what is right and wrong on how we feel, then God help us. And yet that's where we are, and that's where Lamech is. In fact, as you read through verse 19, the verse 20, the, the names of his wife, Adah and Zillah, the, the Hebrew names there actually imply, these words that are used for their names, they imply outward beauty, outward adornment. The sense here is that, that he is drawn to what he sees. He is drawn to what he desires. And so he takes these two wives for himself. And in doing so, he rebels against the created order and the creation mandate and the biblical model that God has placed before him of his forefather, Adam, and his wife, Eve. It says they go on then to have children. It talks about the civilization that comes from these children. It names three boys, Jabel, Jubel, and Tubel Cain. Uh, something I found interesting about these names, you think, for example, of how we name our children today, how oftentimes we name our children based on our uh, lineage, our parents, our grandparents. Many times, not always, but many times, we'll, we'll name our kids to, to honor those before them. So I am Richard Allen Carwile. My son is Richard Parker Carwile. My father is Richard Donald Carwile. His father was Richard Carroll Carwile. We're kind of passing down. That, that legacy, that, that lineage, that name, honoring those before us. Uh, our daughters, if you've ever tried to write all their names down, they've got lots of names. We're trying to get everybody's name in here. Vivian, Ann, Elizabeth, Anna, Claire, Noel, Caroline, Francis, Grace. We are, we are honoring those before us with these names. Sometimes people will even name a child after the legacy of someone who has passed on, someone they never do. Now that's not necessarily to infuse all that into what we're seeing here, but there's something interesting I want to note. As you look at Lamech's children, Jabel, Dubel, Tubel, Cain. In the Hebrew, the root there is very similar to Abel. Abel. There, there's almost a sense here where in Lamech's children, they're trying to provide a substitute for the one that was killed by their forefather Cain, Abel. And yet, they cannot provide that substitute. God will provide that substitute in Seth. And we'll look at that in a minute. But I think it's interesting because when we think about the the gospel implications of that, think of how many things we do to try to provide a substitute for ourselves. Think of how often in our sin we try to overcome our sin in our own effort, through our works, through our benevolence, through our blood work, instead of the substitutionary work of Christ. And we, like they, fall short. God must provide the substitute. And we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, notice the the continuing rebellion of Lamech. Verse 23, he looks at his wives, he says, listen, hear my voice. Listen to what I say. He, in a sense here, he's not necessarily leading them, he's lording over them. He's saying, you better listen to what I have to tell you. I've killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. Lamech here is presenting a picture. Someone struck him and he killed them. The apple, they say, doesn't fall far from the tree. And here we see this in Lamech. His 
forefather Cain who struck his brother. Now he is saying, this man struck me. I have killed him. But not just that. That There's a boasting to this. There's a rebellious pride to this because he says if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. What does that mean? Well, you'll remember Cain, after killing his brother Abel, is confronted by God. He, like his parents, tries to hide from God, says he doesn't know where his brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? God confronts him like he confronts Adam and Eve on his sin and gives him the curse. He will be a fugitive. He will be a wanderer. Now, remember, Cain's response to that is, they're going to kill me. I can't wander far. Enough. Someone's going to kill me for this. So what does God say? God puts a mark on Cain. He says, if anyone seeks to kill Cain, vengeance will come on him seven times. The indication here is not just an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's seven eyes. It, you're going you're gonna to suffer greatly if you touch him. God has marked him. God has protected him. What is Lamech then saying? Well, the first thing to note is it's Lamech saying it, it's not God. Lamech here essentially is saying, well, if God was going to take revenge, if somebody did something to Cain, don't mess with me. I will take revenge. My people will take revenge. If God was going to take seven times, 77 times, He is holding Himself up and saying, He, He is the one you don't want to mess with. He's not here affirming anything about God. He is here to speaking of Himself. In essence, He is saying much of what I think you saw Eve say in Genesis 4.1. I, I have gotten this child with the help of the Lord, emphasizing herself, not God. I think Lamech is saying, you don't want to mess with me. He's making a name for himself. He's saying, look at how powerful I am. And you think in a matter of chapters, his line will cease. Because he is not powerful. Because God is. And yet we see this rebelliousness in him that we see in our own lives. I've not counseled too many of you who've come to me and boasted about your two wives or said to me, if this guy smacked me down at Bart's Mart, so I killed him, and if you mess with me, I'm going to kill you and 76 other people. That's, that's not happened to date, at least. But make no mistake about it. The rebellion of Lamech is in you and I. The, the consequence of sin and how sin affects us, the way it affected Cain, the way it affected Lamech, it's, it's the same. Listen to just a description of it that we see in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is who we are apart from Christ. For the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is who we come into the world as. We are truth suppressors. Do not be surprised when you reveal, when you share the truth of God's Word to someone and they discount it or they say that's nonsense because the Scripture says that's who we are. We, we are by nature. We suppress the truth. But not just that. Verse 19 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it shown to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal powers, divine nature, have been clearly perceived for since the creation of the world. It's saying, look, look back to your creation. Look around. We know God exists. And yet, what do we do? We suppress this knowledge. So the Scripture says we are without excuse. For although we knew God, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. By nature, we are truth suppressors. We are heart darkeners. We are lie believers. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of God for the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up and the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Before you look at Lamech and think, well, I'm not there. Oh, yes, you are. No, yes, I am apart from Christ. We in our sins are just as depraved. We are just as rebellious. And that's why we need hope that comes from Christ like everyone else in the biblical record needed. And I believe we see that hope in the last two verses. And I want to go there now with this third point of your notes. That even in the midst of this great rebellion we see, God is still gracious towards sinful man. You think of what we've seen so far. Adam and Eve rebel. And they try to cover themselves. But they can't cover themselves. So God is gracious to do what? He, he removes them from the garden. There's very real consequence. But it says that He covers them. He covers them. They couldn't cover themselves. Cain, jealous because his heart was not as it should have been, and Abel's was, he kills his brother. God is gracious to him. He, he marks him. He protects him. And here we have a legacy of rebellion. You would think at this point... God justly can wipe everybody out. God in His justice can wipe us all out at any moment. But in His grace and His mercy, He provides hope. Because the story then takes us in verse 25 back to Adam and Eve and says, Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and she called his name Seth. Now remember, Adam and Eve, according to chapter 5, verse 5, had a lot, he was very old, go throughout Genesis 5 and 6, had lots of children, but there's something very special about this child. They called his name Seth for she said, God has appointed another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. Think of the contrast here. Genesis 4, chapter 1. I have gotten a man, Eve says. I've done this. Genesis 4, 25. God has appointed. God has given another. She is saying, you look at Cain and Abel. One, it would... Seem is beginning a line of unrighteousness, even in the way he offers his sacrifice. It's not acceptable. Abel, you see this line beginning of, of righteousness, not in and of itself, but of God. He's, he's offering an acceptable sacrifice, and yet Cain kills his brother. Line wiped out. God says, oh no, there's still hope. And so he gives this other child to them, Seth, in the place of Abel. He, he provides a substitute. And in providing this substitute, notice the legacy of this 
family. Notice the genealogy of this family. To Seth also was born a son. He called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now the Hebrew here can be translated multiple ways, much like we've seen already in Genesis 4.1. And, and this actually can be interpreted as these were idolatrous people. I don't think that's the proper translation. I think we read it in the context of what we see in the whole. And what we see in the whole is there are, there's a stark contrast being presented between the line of Cain and the line of Seth. These people are calling upon God's name. The indication is they are worshiping God. And how do they do that? Through one that is born who is a substitute. Through one that is born who is there in the place of one that was slain. And you look at that unfold and the gospel implications are great. Because the gospel tells us that while we like Adam and Eve try to cover our sin, try to, well, if, if I just go to church enough, if I just give enough, if I just say the right things, if I'm moral enough, I'll be okay. The gospel says no. No, you, I, we are truth suppressors. We're not okay. You, you, can, you can pull down branches and you can try to cover yourself all day. You're not okay. You need to be covered by God. And the way we ultimately are is through Christ. Who is what? He is our substitute. He is our atoning sacrifice. He went to the cross not for His sin, but for our sin. God took Him who knew no sin to take on our sin, to become sin on our behalf. God provided Seth as a substitute in this line to point us towards a greater substitute that would come. You think about the line of Seth as you read through, as we go through the biblical account, from Seth another will come, Noah. From Noah another will come, Abraham. From Abraham another will come, Jesus. And yet when you look through this family line, you see that Seth was not perfect and righteous. Noah was not perfect and righteous. Abraham was not perfect and righteous. But they would lead us towards one who was and is and always will be perfect and righteous. So this Lord's Day, the question for you, the question for I is not, when in response to this, I do feel guilty, I do realize I have sin, so I just need to try harder. No, you and I, we need a substitute. Because you can try all day long. But you're not going to stand before God and Him say, well, you really tried hard. You know, Richard, you're good. It seems that way you're bad. No. I will stand before Him either in my own clothing of unrighteousness and undeservedness and will get the wrath upon me of God for eternity or I will stand before Him covered by another, by a substitute, by Christ. The Scripture says, close us in righteousness. So we have that beautiful picture in the book of Revelation. From every tribe, tongue, and nation, clothed in white robes. Not so that they all matched. They were stained robes by the blood of Christ. They were purified by His blood. They were covered in His righteousness. Adam and Eve needed God to cover them. They needed God to provide a substitute. And you and I need that as well. The question is, have you responded to that? And if not, the invitation of this Lord's Day is to respond. And if you have, you will still battle with sin. You will still experience, I believe, what God warns Cain of. Sin is at the door. It, want, it wants to rule over you and I. And so daily, moment by moment, we need to repent. 
We need to have faith. We need to trust in the Gospel that has freed us from slavery to sin. It no longer masters us. But we will struggle. And we must repent between this day and that day in a new heaven and a new earth. Wherever you find yourself today, if you've yet to repent and have faith, or even for those of us who have, but perhaps in these moments God has shown you sin in your life, repent, have faith, and have hope. Because the God who provided in Genesis 4 is the God who provides through the gospel today. If you would stand and pray with me. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you for the hope we have in the gospel. And Lord, we thank you that, that we can see the gospel in Genesis 4. We, we can see your provision of a substitute. We can see an arrow pointing to the cross. But Lord, even though we see that, that doesn't mean we have all responded to it. Even though we may believe that intellectually, does not mean we've repented. So Father, I pray for any here who's yet to repent and place their faith in Christ, who's yet to confess that Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. Pray that they would. For those in our lives, perhaps those who are not here, those who we are praying for, reaching out to, Father, I pray they would respond in these coming days to this message as well. And for others, Lord, who have repented and placed their faith in Christ, but they, they are wrestling Perhaps, Lord, they are believing that that their desire trumps Your design. Lord, help us to repent this Lord's day and to walk in faith with Christ. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that You would lead us to respond during this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.